Welcome to the second episode in our three-part series that we're calling Roe v. Wade, Redemptive Wisdom for Christians. My name is Luke Brodeen, and I'm here today again with Jimmy Agin. Now, in our first episode, in light of the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, we explored what it would look like to address the issue of abortion from a posture of redemptive wisdom, not fight or flight or attack or avoid, but a third way, which is made possible by God's grace. Now, Jimmy, where are we headed in this episode today? Let's talk about wisdom for loving God. Um, I want us to hear what God says to us in Scripture about human life in the womb and beyond so that we can love Him by embracing what He has said. So who's the audience here? And if we're starting with love for God uh, and Scripture... Who's most likely to be listening in? Great question. I really hope that three different groups of people are listening. First would be Christian listeners, people who have committed themselves to following Jesus. They want to love God by embracing what the Scripture teaches. A second group of people who are Christians, they've committed to follow Jesus. They love God. They love what He said in Scripture. But for whatever reason, they might be reluctant to relate the Bible to the issue of abortion. And then finally, I hope we have some listeners who aren't sure that God is real, they, they don't know what to make of Jesus, and they aren't sure that the Bible is especially helpful. I hope that all three of those groups are listening and that what they'll hear is honest, loving reflection on issues that are important for every human being. Before we get too far in our discussion today, I think it'd be a good thing for us to define a key term here. Jimmy, can you help define what is abortion? For this conversation, uh, Luke, thank you for asking. Let's define abortion as an intentional act that ends a pregnancy, causing the life of the child in the womb to end. But it's really not that simple, is it? I mean, even defining the term leads to complexity. Yeah, I want to mention a few sources of that complexity. Um, As you already hinted at, it's hard to even give a definition without alienating people If we say, uh, end a pregnancy, some people are offended. Why aren't you saying this is a human child whose life is being ended? But then when we say abortion ends the life of a child in the womb, uh, another group of people may be offended. Why are you biasing the discussion by calling this a child instead of an embryo or a fetus or a pregnancy? Even defining the question can make it hard to have the conversation, and we need to acknowledge that. Secondly, there's a personal element here. Trisha and I lost a child through miscarriage. Uh, 25 years later, she still remembers how jarring it was when a medical professional described this as a spontaneous abortion. In everyday conversation, the word abortion uh, implies intentional action, but as that phrase used in that context uh, indicated, Sometimes that isn't implied. So we have to be clear how we're defining the term, and we also have to recognize that language has a deep, deep impact on people. Finally, let me give an example using the name of our city, Atlanta. Um, The word Atlanta refers to a city, but over time, that word comes to have some deep associations. For many of us, it's home. It represents friendship, family, Uh, It might represent frustration with traffic, happy memories, hard memories, some mixture of both. The word abortion is like that. It refers to a particular kind of action, 
but it can also carry really strong associations. So in our minds, the word abortion can be associated with legal questions, constitutional questions, politics, public policy, economic pressures, social pressures that factor into pregnancy and parenting, and, uh, and that word can be associated with painful personal memories. Um, so we're using it in our conversation today to refer to that kind of action, but we have to recognize that it often brings in its wake uh, a lot of other associations. Now, it would be really, really hard to tackle all of these topics uh, in one sitting, uh, but is there one of those that you want to speak to specifically? Yeah, so one of the things that can be associated with uh, just the mention of abortion is pain. And as a pastor, I'd just like to take a moment to speak to that. If anybody hearing this is experiencing grief because you've lost a child, uh, maybe even grief because you've lost a child through abortion, maybe you're experiencing disappointment of not being able to have children, guilt or shame over having an abortion, or over failing to support a pregnant friend or family member in a time of need. I just want to remember together a promise that we talked about in our previous episode from James chapter 4, verse 6. God gives greater grace. His grace is greater than our pain, greater than our disappointment, our guilt, our shame. That doesn't minimize our sorrows and pain or shrink them down to nothing. It just magnifies His grace. Because of Jesus, there is real healing, real forgiveness, and real comfort for real people. That's really helpful. Yeah, it's really good to have that reminder from Scripture um, that God promises to be with us uh, into our pain. Now, what does God have to say about the act of abortion itself? I'm just going to state what I find to be a good summary principle to capture Scripture's teaching Um, Life in the womb is human life, and therefore it should be cherished and protected. Um, There are lots of other issues that we would want to think about around this. What's the proper relationship between this biblical principle and public policy? What do we do about the most difficult cases where there's danger to the life of the mother, uh, rape, or incest? What are the implications of this biblical principle for Uh, the actions that the Christian community ought to take. Those are really important questions, but for today, I'd like us just to stay focused on this fundamental principle. Life in the womb is human life, and therefore it should be cherished and protected because we won't get those other nuances right until we're clear on this starting point. Okay, so let me restate this principle again uh, that you've just said. that Life in the womb is human life, and therefore it should be cherished and protected. Now, what evidence from Scripture points to that conclusion? I'd like to talk about um, three key arguments. The first is from the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what I'll call the architect of life argument. Um, God is this designer creating the perfect environment for life to flourish, and Genesis portrays him as as using his kingly power, wisdom, and skill to design a world that promotes life-giving love. And then when human beings are created in his image, we're called to promote life-giving love in all the earth. And so we're called to take dominion and to be fruitful and multiply, bringing more images of God into the world. So from the very beginning, the trajectory of the whole Bible is towards sustaining life rather than ending it promoting life rather than disrupting it. So if we want to see 
life flourishing, uh, our vision has to be for something bigger than a single issue, right? So, for example, um, I can't say, once there's no more abortion, our work is done. Or, once this law is passed or that law is overturned, we're good. Uh, Right. And I think some people misunderstand the Christian perspective here. We need to make sure that we share God's vision, which includes helping human lives in the womb to flourish, but it also includes helping every human life to flourish. Uh, This is a vision that's too big for us to accomplish without God's grace, and it, it also speaks to a common objection to a Christian position here that says, well, you really only are pro-birth, you're not really pro-life. Um, and I know of one ministry that offsets this by, their slogan is, you know, we stand for the whole life of every human, and I think that reflects biblical wisdom in a, in a really good way. Okay, so um, what's the next way that we can love God by embracing what His Word teaches us on this area? This is what I'll call the continuity of life argument. Scripture uses the same kind of language to describe human life, whether it's in the womb or out of the womb. So, for example, from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, says that Eve conceives and gives birth to a son, Cain, and she says, I have gotten a man. The word used is ish, which means human being. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She conceived, she gave birth, and she's talking about this whole process in terms of God giving her a human child. The implication is that the whole process involved uh, a a child who is human from conception to birth. And then in the New Testament, we could see a similar example from Luke chapter 1. This is an encounter between uh, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we read uh, verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Uh, It describes John the Baptist in his mother's womb as a a baby, an infant. The Greek word is brephos. And uh, it's the same word you would use to describe a baby being held in the arms of a mother or nursing at the mother's breast. Uh, Notice how natural this is throughout the Bible. There aren't long explanations or arguments. Luke doesn't have to pause and say, I can call that a baby because it's uh, human life inside the womb. It's just natural for the biblical writers reflecting the heart of God to use exactly the same vocabulary to describe a human life in the womb and a human life out of the womb, words like human and baby. So, Jimmy, it sounds like you believe this has some pretty important implications, don't you? I do. Um... An argument in favor of abortion will typically say, well, there is life in the womb. Nobody denies that. And it belongs to the human species. We can't deny that. But it isn't a human person. It's an embryo or a fetus. Uh, Maybe it has the potential to be a human life, but it isn't yet human in the sense that it has the rights of a human being. So an argument in favor of abortion often makes this distinction between human life and the life of a human person. A a biblical position, embracing what God says in His Word, is going to say instead, if it's human life, it has God's blessing, and it bears God's image, and it ought to be cherished and protected. Humanity and personhood don't begin outside the womb. They don't begin at some developmental dividing line 
Scripture teaches that before God, the life in the womb is a human being in very early stages of development, not a something else that will one day become a human being. Now, obviously, there is a distinctive feature here. The child in the womb can't exist independently of another human being, its mother. I would say from a biblical perspective, that makes the child more dependent, not less human. Now, I have to add here, after mentioning mother, the biblical vision is, is uh, that mother and that child thriving in a community of interconnected relationships, ideally including a loving father and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and neighbors and best friends. And so this be fruitful and multiply uh, calling of Scripture is for every human being, not for a mother on her own uh, without the support and care of other people. So, Jimmy, these uh, arguments are great, but I know that there's one more that uh, you you want to share with us. Yeah, uh, we've been talking about this, and, and so I, I think we have to take time to say that God cares for prenatal life. God cares for life in the womb. Uh, that's clear from Scripture. Two quick examples. The first is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. The word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, Before I formed you in the womb... I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. God knew this prophet intimately, and that deep relational knowledge is the context for forming him in the womb. God values the life of this prophet Jeremiah before he's even born. Um, Psalm 139 is a classic uh, biblical text to tell us about God's love for life in the womb. Uh, to read just a couple of verses, the whole thing is worth reading and celebrating, but uh, let's read verses 13 and 14. The psalmist says to God, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What was true of Jeremiah is true of every one of us. All human beings are invited to sing this song uh, with the psalmist in Psalm 139. And let's take time to notice the joy here. This isn't just saying in some abstract way, God cares for life in the womb. He loves human persons before they are born. Nice intellectual position. It is saying, this thought makes me want to praise you, O God. This thought makes me want to write songs about you and sing them out loud for everybody else to hear and join in. Um, So we get to add to our earlier principle, life in the womb is human life. It ought to be cherished and protected. And Psalm 139 says, it ought to be celebrated. Thanks, Jimmy. This was really helpful to hear these arguments uh, walk through Scripture Uh, And thank you, listeners, uh, for tuning in. Uh, We hope that you'll join us for our next episode.